folks, this is Scott, back to kick off another round of KC Greats. And I'm here with a really interesting person today at a place called the Global Orphan Project. I'm with Trace Thurlby, the president of the Global Orphan Project. And I think you guys are going to learn quite a bit about something that is going on here in Kansas City and making an impact right now over about three, four continents that you didn't know about. So, Trace, thanks for taking the time today, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Scott. Looking forward to it. So, I don't think you're a KC native, right? You did not you know, born I raised actually here? grew up in Arkansas. Okay. And uh, my wife and I have raised our family in Kansas City. This is our 14th year, so it's definitely home. Okay, great. So... Were you at least close to the northern border of Arkansas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. we were. Uh, I've lived in all four time zones. I share a little bit of the Air Force nice. history with you. <laughs> but uh, I think Kansas City is probably the best place in the country to raise a family. I, yeah, I would tend to agree. So um, so you mentioned you, you started through college out of the Air Force Academy, and then went into the military from there as an officer. What did you do when you were in uh, in the service? Yeah, I was an acquisitions officer. So okay. my, my joke is I was helping develop the $1,000 toilet seat. Um, but <laughs> 3D printing those now, though, right? Exactly. But actually, I got to work on the B-2 and F-117, uh, the stealth capabilities, and I was proud to serve. Grateful for our military. Okay, so let's hold on to that because the acquisitions world, it sounds like probably benefits what you're doing here. Sure. Uh, some of that experience now. Yeah, my resume looks pretty schizophrenic. From the <laughs> Air Force, I went to financial services. Okay. Then I had a stint in Christian broadcasting, and now I've been with the Global Orphan Project for nine years. Okay. So from the military to finance to, uh, to, to ministry, but my role has been pretty similar. I've really always been the operations guy, trying to get the right people on the bus, focus on the mission and execute as well as we can. Very good. So what uh, ultimately brought you out of the Air Force into uh, originally the corporate world, right? Right. Yeah. And at the Air Force Academy, they would put you on a fast plane uh, or a slow plane to try to motivate you to be a pilot. <laughs> on the fast plane, I took a nap. Uh, on the fast plane, I actually vomited. On the slow plane, I took a nap, right? So I knew I wasn't uh, genetically gifted to be a pilot. And, and honestly, I had a dream to be a successful businessman. So I went out to California and pursued that. And, and I realized ultimately that that wasn't, wasn't what turned me on. Sounds like there wasn't the fulfillment there. I could just yeah. I could see a change when you talked about it versus yeah. when we toured the facility here. Yeah, I was proud of the company that I worked for. Sure. And, and uh, I'm very much pro-business. I'm very much a capitalist. Uh, but at the end of the day, I realized that what God had created me to do was to help kingdom organizations advance their ministry. And I got the opportunity to do that when we moved here in 2004. Okay. And I started working for a company called Bot Radio Network. And I served with them for five years until I was invited on a missions trip to Haiti in 2006. My first uh, first missions trip I'd ever taken in my life. Uh, I can remember walking into a cinder block cafeteria with a tin roof, concrete floors, and wooden benches in a horseshoe. And I saw 60 kids just kind of staring up at us, dutifully waiting for us to play with them. And I, and I began to weep. And I thought, how many kids are there in the world that are waiting for someone to play with them? Where did these kids come from? And if I believe what the Bible says, 
that God is the father to the orphan and God is my father. And aren't they my little brothers and sisters? And that began a journey of just volunteering with the Global Orphan Project. At that time, it was C3 Missions, which ultimately led to me serving here full-time starting in 2010. And it's been uh, an adventure that I never expected, better than I could have ever imagined. So eight years now with Global Orphan. Um, I understand your your impact moment there. I I had a very similar one the first time I went to um, El Salvador Mm -hmm. to work with some orphanages. And that first day for me was was kind of uncomfortable because yeah. I'll be honest I didn't know how to reconcile what was in front of me you know we, we even even those that have challenges in our circles still have it pretty good compared to what we can see in other countries don't they yeah it's crazy you know if you make forty thousand dollars a year you're in the top four percent of the world's wealth the top four percent And when we start to see a little bit more, not just of the poverty, but also of the opportunity, of the local leadership, of the joy, of the faith, it changes our normal. We we start to wrestle with a new normal. And uh, what happens is this process called being ruined for the average is, is one of the ways that we describe it at the Global Orphan Project. And that started happening for me in 2006, but then in February of 2007, my wife and I were uh, standing on the Great Wall of China in, in, uh, on a Sunday, and then on a Monday, we're standing in a Chinese hotel where a one-year-old baby girl is placed in our hands for about the price of a used speedboat, and we accepted this uh, call of of adoption I mean, we realized that that God adopts us he builds his family through adoption he is an adopting father and um, and the whole kind of course of our life began to change in ways that were more uh, more risky and, and more rich than we ever could have imagined it's an interesting risk-reward model. Yeah, that's true. Sure. That's true. Probably not what uh, financial services would think, but it's okay, right? It's, yeah, uh, yeah. That, that, those are the things that probably change you for the uh, for the better, right? Well, we wouldn't trade it. <laughs> well, good. So is that your... Uh, um, that adoption? Is that your single adoption experience or have you done multiples? Well, that's a great question. We have four kids, uh, 17, 16, 15, and 12. Um, yeah, and so um, two, and so the one that we adopted, just in Elise, our twelve-year-old, that was eleven years ago. Okay, and two and a half years ago, um, we had uh, an invitation to adopt our son Liam, and and so we adopted him when he was thirteen years old and ten months. Um, uh, now that's a challenge for, uh, from what I understand from yeah. talking to folks that have adopted. I mean, for yeah. number one, for adoption organizers, once a child gets to that age, it's really difficult to place them, right? Yeah, it's a very different experience. Um, I think you know the biggest challenge was for Liam. You know, Liam had been left at a Chinese orphanage at seven months, and had lived. Um, uh, you know, in institutional care, pretty much fending for himself uh, without a mom or a dad ever since. And so not only did he have to come learn a new uh, culture, a new language, but he, he had to learn 
what family was. That survival instinct that, that he's developed is probably pretty strong. It is strong. That's, a, that's an insightful comment. You know, it, mom and dad, I'm not sure if I need you. I'm not sure if I can trust you. But if I do need you and I can trust you, then why did my other parents abandon me? Um, and, and where do we go from here? So uh, we're two and a half years in. Um, as our family, we say good is hard. That's our motto. Uh, we are fully needy and fully blessed. And like I said, we, we wouldn't trade it. So, um, uh, you know, that's been the, the adventure continues and, and we don't want it to stop. Well, that's wonderful. And I can't, I can, I can only imagine the strength that will give him as he grows up now to understand a, a strong family structure to add that strong-willed survival to it. Well, I think he's got a really high ceiling. And at the same time, you know, we aren't the perfect family. We're not the perfect parents. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but but with all the things that we can't tell Liam, we, we don't know a lot of the answers of the first 13 years of his life. We can tell him that this is God's plan for his life, that God uh, has, has given him... Um, an experience, a story that spans multiple continents. You know, he's also uh, legally blind. And so uh, he's got a testimony that's unique. And our prayer for Liam is that one day he'll fully embrace that and share that with others, just like that's the prayer for our other three kids. You know, we all have been given a story, which is one of the things that I I love about your podcast is you're, you're recognizing the, the value of the stories that we've been given and wanting to share those with other people. Liam's been given a really unique story, and, and we love just getting to be a part of it. That's, that's amazing. And so using that to kind of transition to Global Orphan, right? Um, obviously that's, that's been something that's kind of driven you in that direction. Um, after uh, your, your mission experience with them, how did you, uh, how did you end up here? Was, yeah. Uh, well, they, uh, when I came back, I can remember my wife and I just sitting on the floor of the kitchen and talking for two or three hours, just trying to process um, what I had seen and experienced in Haiti. And from that moment on, we just started to um, invest in this ministry. We, we uh, would blog, we would uh, try to raise money, we led trips. And they invited me to join the board of the organization. I can remember going to my first board meeting, and I was in my <laughs> mid-30s. Feel and out, I, out of your uh, I, frame of I felt here. very much out of place. There were a lot of people <laughs> in their 50s with great experience and, and resources and silver-haired wisdom. And I, I was uh, on the, the other side of that coin in every respect. And I can remember looking at Mike Fox and, and Beth, who they are the founders of the organization, and saying, I'm not sure why you've invited me. I'm not sure what value I bring, but I'm not going to disqualify myself. <laughs> so if you still want me to serve, then I would be honored to serve. And I did that for three years as the ministry began to grow. Uh, there was a growing recognition that the team needed to grow. And uh, God just wouldn't let me miss it. Mike and Beth were gracious, along with Joe Knittig, uh, CEO of the organization, to extend that invite. And, um, and honestly, at the time, I said no. Uh, 
the first time they they asked me, I said no. I I, um, I was a small faith Christian, and I wasn't willing to take that step. Did you feel that was uh, an answer driven more by uh, belief in you weren't ready for it more than the organization wasn't ready for it? Yeah, no, the organization needed help. Um, but yeah, I was comfortable. I was comfortable where I was and what and what I was doing, and, and my wife was was comfortable. We had kids and they were growing up, and and we thought, you know, I'm, my thing is to coach soccer and sing loud at my suburban church and and to uh, leave um, a career that I was enjoying for full time. Global ministry didn't seem like anything that we had ever even considered. So um, our our prayer was, you know, God, if you want that to happen, then you just need to change our hearts. And that took, uh, it didn't take very long, actually. It took about six weeks. <laughs> and at the end of that six weeks, I picked up the phone and I called Joe. And I said, Joe, I don't know if the job is still open. I don't know if I need to apply or if you would consider me. But God has moved on our hearts. And to the extent that it depends on us, we're in. We'd like to make this work. And Joe said, uh, God told us to invite you. He didn't tell us to invite anybody else. We're all in. The job is yours. And uh, not that it's felt like a job, but, but that that was a transition from getting to serve, um, you know, as a volunteer to getting to serve full time. And people say, do you yeah. love your job? And I said, I, I loved it before when I was doing it for free. Now I just get to do it more. Even better. I'm grateful for that. So backing up a little bit, now that you're with the organization, where did it, where did Global Orphan come from? Because yeah. I remember uh, I lived out in the Parkville area and I just saw the sign. Right. You know, uh, when it was headquartered up there for a few years and really just assumed for my own opinion, oh, cool, it's a, it's probably somebody that runs, you know, some trips and builds orphanages. And I didn't think much of it, but it, it seems to me the mission and specifically the uh, operations on the ground in other countries are a little bit different than what most people probably assume. So where did it come from? What's it doing? Yeah, well, great questions. Uh it came from the lives of Mike and Beth Fox. Okay. Uh, Mike was, uh, by all appearances, a very successful businessman in his late 40s and was in Southeast Asia um, where he had his uh, divine collision in the orphan window with God's kids and God's family. And he and Beth decided that they would they would start this organization. And everyone can think that well, you know, they're, uh, they're high net worth do-gooders, but that's, that's some of the... the uh, it's a pretty cynical view. Though. Well, and it's, it's, really... it's the farthest <laughs> thing from the truth. You know, Mike had grown up, um, he, he had grown up in a family situation that was quite dynamic. He had three birth certificates before he was 16 years old. Beth had had a, uh, a brain aneurysm that had, that had given her a brush with death in her early 40s. And so when they looked at these children that needed family, uh, when they looked at the opportunity to help them, they didn't see charity. They actually saw themselves, and they saw opportunity, and they saw joy. And uh, God just used them to... Um, to start C3 Missions International, and people are always like, well, is that church, children, and community? What, what are the three Cs? Well, it was actually C3H8, which is the chemical <laughs> compound for propane gas, 
because okay. Mike had helped to found a propane gas company that God had blessed, and Mike Sully used it to fuel the ministry. We'll just honor okay. that that company and that blessing by naming the organization after it. Well, it grew to the point that people would say, this is a great story, but who are Mike and Beth Fox? I don't know them. <laughs> and we realized at that time we'd outgrown the name. Okay. And so it became the Global Orphan Project in 2008. And today we are fully dedicated to helping break the orphan cycle. Around the world there are children who are fending for themselves. And we partner with local leaders here domestically and internationally to help invest in the lives of local children and families in crisis. And we do that through ministry initiatives with the local church at the center, and we also do it through marketplace initiatives with local business leaders at the center to help create jobs, to keep families together, and to provide opportunities for kids that are, that are aging out of care. So two things that you said right there that, that I learned just in the few minutes uh, when I got here, they surprised me. Like my initial assumption is, oh, it's just somebody that helps uh, orphanages. Uh, not so much, but the, the breaking orphan cycle, that, that seems pretty key. And then, like you said, keeping families together. And you used the term uh, when we talked earlier of uh, orphan prevention. Yeah. You know, not just caring for these children, but... If you care for a family before it breaks up, that's so much better. Yeah, that's right. You know, a, a lot of just kind of an orphan care 101, the mm-hmm. numbers people will see are there are 143 million orphans in the world. It's a huge number, and that comes from the United Nations. But if you drill down and you start to educate you know, ourselves a little bit more, we see that there are only 15 to 20 million of those kids that don't have a mom or a dad. So you have more than 115 million kids that have some kind of family, but they're either unwilling or unable to care for them. And uh, if they're unwilling to care for them, that's that's a spiritual problem. And that's why we partner with the local church. The local church... Um, through the gospel, through the biblical story of Jesus coming uh, to adopt us into his family, is turning the hearts of the fathers to the kids and the hearts of kids to the fathers. And really, the best thing that could happen to kids around the world that are in that 143 million number are that are primarily that men who are fathering them would invest in their lives as dad. That's a heart issue. But there's a whole nother group that they're willing to care for their their kids, but they're unable to. And most of those are economic orphans. Lack of skills, lack of opportunity. Lack of opportunity, the oppression of poverty. But if they were given the training and a living wage job, then they could keep their kids with them. And that's not just an international phenomenon. That's, that's happening right here in Kansas City. You see that every day. And so uh, as, at the Global Orphan Project, we want to put a lot of tools in the bag. And if people are saying, hey, I, I want to help in my own community, I want to help with education, I want to help with Votech, I want to help um, internationally, I want to help with HIV clinic, we, we would love to have that conversation. We realize that if you only have one tool in the bag, if you're only carrying a hammer, everything starts <laughs> to look like a nail. nail. Everything starts <laughs> to look like a nail. And you can do a lot yeah. of damage. And we did a lot of damage trying to do good swinging that hammer for a lot of years. And so the approach really has changed over the last five to seven years where we want to come to a conversation with local leaders and say, what do you need? Uh, What are you doing? How can we help? 
and then get behind them uh, and just basically help them do more uh, as they serve and lead in their own communities. Well, and I know there's been, and I've seen this a little bit internationally myself, uh, there's been a lot of discussion and study in the past five, ten years on the impact in some third world countries that just monetary charity and given resources without any kind of, you know, real, um, how would I put it, real training or real change of a community where they've become in places almost subsistent upon charity, on a handout. Yeah. Uh, it's become the norm. And it's, uh, I, I saw it traveling in Africa a couple of years ago where we were counseled by the individual that we were with. So now every person is going to ask you for money for this, for money, for money. And that we have to stiff arm that first. Because the money doesn't solve the problems. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, if if money solved the problem, then there would be no uh, vulnerable, abused, and abandoned children here in America, right? right? The richest country in the world. So it's definitely more of a financial, more than more than just a financial issue. Yeah. Um, it does require partnership. It does require thought. You know. That said, uh, generosity is is a joy it's an opportunity sure and um, the investments that we make they need to be multi-pronged and so sometimes I think the pendulum has swung a little bit too far you know there's this book that said you know that everyone that's interested in this has read called when helping hurts um, but sometimes I want to write another book say called when helping doesn't hurt you know, it's the helping yes. helping helps a lot Right. If we can do it in the right way, which I think is the point that you're making. And those are um, grassroots investments in local leaders uh, who are already championing their communities. And we just need to get behind them. So at the heart of the Global Orphan Project, that's what we do. And if okay. someone said, well, what do you do best? I think that what we do best is we partner with people that are really doing the right things for the right reasons in their community, and we help them do more. So they'd say, so you don't really do anything well except partner with people? Yeah, that's it. That's what we do really well. We've got some amazing, got some amazing <laughs> partners around the world and, and, and here domestically, okay. and we just want to help them. What are some, uh, some great examples of how... Those partnerships make an impact on the community. How's that work? Sure. I'll give a great example of a guy named Muhammad Yamut. Okay. Muhammad grew up a Muslim street kid in Beirut. And uh, he came to know Jesus as a teenager. He has um, given his life to now loving his community in the name of Jesus. In 2006, he formed Tyre Church. And, uh, you know, that was before the big war in Syria. Syria borders Lebanon on the north mm -hmm. and on the east. So when you go now to Tyre and you visit that church, you're going to find a guy who is caring for the Syrian refugee, many of whom have been chased out of their country by ISIS and, and the war there. And he's caring for them in the name of Jesus. How is he doing that? Well, he speaks Arabic. He also grew up a Muslim. He also has local uh, relationships and connections. So that's allowed him to get the favor of his government. It's allowed him to um, you know, pay for school, provide medical care, provide the hope of the gospel. You and I can't do that. 
we don't know the culture, we don't know the language, we don't have the local credibility, but we have the opportunity to help him do some amazing things that would take you and I years to develop that kind of skill set, but we can help him do more of it today. And that's really what the Global Orphan Project does. We serve as a connecting pipe to connect people that want to help the local child and family in crisis with those who are effectively helping them. How do you find a guy like that? Well, I mean, he's not, he's sure. probably not out there tweeting, hey, Global Orphan Project, come help me. Yeah, th- those <laughs> are really divine appointments. Yeah. And once you find, once God brings one, um, then the chain reaction starts. And so we've tried to learn to become good listeners and uh, people that have shown that they understand what God is doing in the orphan window, we listen especially carefully to them. And, and, and then that process could take from that initial introduction, it could take 18 months to two years before that partnership is really up and running. Um, but over time, the ministry is now 15 years old you get, you know, uh, you get a dozen or so of those around the world, and the needle starts to move for kids and families. Love that because we've seen, in the, especially in the last year, a lot about um, the Syrian region, obviously with the the terrible things that are happening there, and you see a lot of on the ground resources that uh, are local and are trying to do things in that theater, but yeah, the refugee population is, you know gone to every country around yeah. that will accept them. So those yeah. things are uh, those things are important. Yeah, one of the know? cool things about Lebanon especially, it's a, it's a nation of law, it's a democracy, it's mm-hmm. 66, two-thirds Muslim, but it's a nation of law. Um, and uh, about the size of Connecticut, there it was a country of four and a half million people previously, and they've welcomed... Two million refugees. That's crazy if you think about it. Six and a half million people in the country. Basically one out of almost every three are refugees. Well, those people are going to go back home. They're going to go back to Syria. They're going to go back to Yemen. They're going to go back to Iraq. What's their story going to be? And because of Pastor Yamut, there are thousands of them that are going to say, look, the government didn't have a lot to offer. But these but, organizations and these individuals and these But this local church of, of faith. This local church of entire, uh, they helped me. They helped me find a place to live. They helped my kids go to school. Um, and what an amazing testimony that's going to be. So this, this local church is literally ministering to several nations because when the people go back, they're going to have a story about, about the care they received. So how do we learn from that and do more of that here? Yeah, yeah. Isn't that a great question? <laughs> and, and connect past so, so political let's, thoughts. So let's talk about that, like that a little yeah. bit. That's a great conversation. About uh, five years ago, our founder, Mike Fox, had this inkling that we were supposed to grow as an organization. We're like, well, Mike, that, that's great, but we are growing. So, so what does it mean? He said, I don't know. I don't know what it means. He said, I'm going to get back on a plane. I'm going to go to Southeast Asia. I'm going to walk the lands. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to seek God's face. And so he came back and uh, he said, you know, Mike has a trip. He says, great. I said, well, you know, did you hear from the Lord? He said, I did, but it's not what you'd expect. (laughs) I said, all right, well, tell tell us. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he said, before the plane touched down in Southeast Asia, he said, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit 
that we had driven past people on the way to the Kansas City airport, children who needed family. He said, we're going to keep doing everything that we're doing internationally, but we are going to grow. Let's bring it home. We're going to grow home. We're growing home. And when he said that, you know, it was just obvious that that the Holy Spirit was was giving us an, another assignment. And where that has landed today is in an initiative called Care Portal. And Care Portal is a very simple technology tool that allows local churches to receive emails from child welfare at the county level about children and families who are in crisis. So the, the orphan prevention, like we talked about earlier. Absolutely. Keep them together up front. Don't get them into that system. We love foster families. Sure. And, you know, what an amazing what a, ministry. What a great world it would be if they weren't necessary. That's right. <laughs> and and uh, if in the past, it, w- it was a system of just a few people doing a ton. You know, take 10 weeks of foster care certification, wait for the phone to ring to bring kids into your home that really are in crisis mode. Not many families are signing up for that. God bless the ones who are. But what if every church could do a little? What if every church would be willing to receive an email about a single mother who's about to lose her kids because she couldn't pay her water bill? Or about a grandmother who needed bunk beds to receive kids into her home? What if every church would just be willing to receive that email and then share the opportunity to say, I can do that. I just got a tax refund. I can pay that water bill. I've got bunk beds in my basement. I've got a car seat. Um, and the church is starting to say yes to that. In, in any place in the Kansas City metro that's hearing us talk, their church could sign up for the Care Portal to receive those emails. And that's at careportal.org. Okay. Careportal.org. And uh, in the fourth year now, it's, it's now in 16 states. But we believe that God is moving through the church and he's going to transform child welfare in the U.S. from being a state-centered model of care to being a church-centered model of care. So it's providing a connection to the government organizations that, you know, they probably have a, a, a checklist of, okay, when this happens, we do this. They don't have a lot of leeway to do something to prevent that water being turned off or heat being turned off and this gives them that link and it's not out of their county budget or something that probably isn't very big yeah the government is a willing partner yeah they're they welcome the help of people of faith to step into this sure but you're absolutely right you know this care portal is helping them do their job because it's bringing resources that aren't on their budget to help support local children and families in crisis so I love that that's here in, in Kansas City, and you guys are right down here in the heart of Midtown as well, because obviously a big theme around Kansas City in the last few years is our tech growth and our startup growth, and you guys are really accessing a lot of that mentality to make something different here in the orphan space. Yeah, I love that. Kansas City is an unbelievably generous city, and uh, like we talked about a little bit earlier, it's going to be a multi-pronged solution. There's going to be a spiritual component there's going to be an economic component. It's cool sure. that there's going to be a technology component. Yeah. Look at all the platforms that change the way that we think right now. You've got Uber. It's changed the way we, we uh, you know, catch a cab. We've got Airbnb. It's changed the way we vacation. Uh, you know, you've got, you've got Twitter. 
Care Portal is, is another platform that we think can change the way that local children and families in crisis receive care from the community at large. Well, and I think generationally, the individuals that would appreciate a technology solution, if you, if you look younger than us, um, <laughs> not only do they appreciate the technology solution, but I think generationally they are a lot more social-minded. Yeah. Uh, and that's, yeah. I think that bodes well for organizations like Global Orphan, that as they become more financially stable into their 20s, their 30s, and their 40s, and more engaged, yeah. uh, things like that can only grow. Well, that that's a huge point. The millennials want to make a difference, and they're not willing to wait. They want to make a difference now. Mm-hmm. You know, we were kind of taught, hey, you need to go invest in your career, and then, thing. yeah, once you establish yourself, then you can... Uh, start to change the world. Well, I love the fact that the millennials say that's bogus. I want to. I, I want to make a difference right now. And companies that understand that and uh, begin to invest in their own communities um, are going to be attractive. They're going to have a competitive edge in hiring and retaining millennials. One of the things that we found to be super exciting about that millennial generation is they're very interested in making a difference through their purchases. And so uh, to try to tap into that, uh, that socially conscious mindset, we've developed GoX, which which provides T-shirts to organizations, whether it be your 5K, your vacation Bible school, your family reunion, your, uh, you know, one of our best customers in town is uh, Boulevard Brewery. So shout out to the beer drinkers. You know, if you go to Boulevard Brewery, their T-shirts are being made by people in Haiti who are earning a living wage, okay. double the minimum wage. It's being screen printed here in Kansas City by people who are earning $15 an hour. So overseas impact to keep families together to start That's right. with, with a living wage. Home impact here with those that are, uh, I'm guessing the jobs are probably filled by those that have had some kind of challenge uh, to get them back on their feet. We want to reinvest in the city yep. and you got a great looking t-shirt. You know, that you can feel good about wearing because it's not made, you know, behind the, the, the cloak of a sweatshop. In, in fact, the, Which, t- the T-shirt itself, yeah. while it looks good, feels good, you can also feel good about it. I guess I didn't think about that as much, but especially such a simple product like a T-shirt, that's probably very common, isn't it, in the third world country, is, is the, the child labor sweatshop type thing. Yeah, it's it's a really brutal industry, and you know, I'm just to, it's really it's it's ironic that at times we'll have T-shirts with these positive messages, inspiring messages on Where them. But but you know, what's in your T-shirt? Uh, it's an interesting question. And at goex.org, g-o-e-x.org, you can you can go and buy T-shirts that look great. You can feel good about wearing them. So it's as people often will say it's such a big problem this global orphan pandemic, what can we do about it? It's as simple as buying a t-shirt. I love that. So we've got local organizations, like you said, they're putting on their 5K, their annual event, whatever, that they can support not only the the project, but right here in our city, simply by using a local service. Yeah, and we'd love for them to come down and, and like you did, tour it, see it, meet the people that are are working on the floor. Uh, One of the things that I think... I'd love to say that we're the best ministry around, but I can't. I know there are better ministries around, but I can say we're probably the most transparent. 
we, we want people to be able to come and be a part of this movement, make it their own, ask the questions, kick the tires, meet the people. Um, you know, uh, we'll be a better organization when more people are doing that. Well, I, I love the transparency, Trace, because that's something that obviously in the past few years has been such a huge thing where, you know, if you, if you watch some negative news, there's always going to be something about somebody squandering assets that could be used in a better way. <laughs> so I think that's always going to continually be more and more important to folks as they invest in an organization. So love the story. You know, what, what do you see or what's the, the next big target for Global Orphan in the next uh, five to ten years? Expanding yeah. the, the homebound yeah. projects or yeah. across the board? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. I, I feel like we've got our assignment. And the assignment domestically is to take Care Portal to all 50 states okay. and to help transform child welfare from government-centered to church-centered care. I think internationally, uh, there are two things. Number one is those family strengthening programs uh, and maybe another time for another day. But that same thing that's going on to kind of reach upstream domestically, mm -hmm. the church is doing through programs called Father's Family, Father's Table, uh, so we actually reduce the numbers of kids in residential care, uh, but we help help the family and help the church raise those kids. So uh, if we care about the kids, we care about their family. If we care about the kids, we also care about their future. And we want them to, to become uh, leaders that share their testimony and also invest in that next generation. They, the kids that were orphaned and abandoned, they become faithful fathers. They become dedicated mothers. They become leaders in their community. So, um, you know, that's the call. And I don't think that's the next five or ten years. I think it's the next 50 years. Uh, I don't think we'll finish this work in our lifetime. Um, but, but we want to try, right? And if we can put ourselves out of business, all the better. Even better. Well... Amazing organization that, frankly, yeah, I'm guilty of not knowing enough about that it's based right here in Kansas City, and that's why I love hearing the story. Uh, I'm also curious, I always want to know, too, about some of the things that, that uh, our guests love about yeah. Kansas City. So I'm always curious to hear what you think your, what I call it, our, our, our hidden gems are. You know, maybe that's your favorite restaurant or park or, or who knows. Sure. Um, I'll give you two. Redeemer Fellowship is our home church. If you're looking to hear the Bible taught with clarity and authority and with no apology, uh, Redeemer Fellowship, RedeemerCaseKansasCity.org, or Google it. And then I've got to give a shout, shout out to the folks at Jack Stack. I know that they're not a hidden gem, but uh, they are generous. Nice. They are principled, uh, and you know they've got some of the best, if not the best, uh, barbecue in town. So if you haven't been to Jack Stack recently, make sure you, uh, you do yourself a favor, take your family and, and go get some of Casey's best barbecue. Love it. Well, real quick at the end, Trace, where can folks go? We've heard some of the sites and sure. stuff for GoX. Uh, where can folks go to learn more about either just knowing about Global Orphan yeah. or getting involved if they want to do something. Yeah, guys. I love that. Thanks. Uh, our mothership site is goproject.org. Okay. Geoproject.org. And from there, you can get anywhere you want to go. Branch off there. Yeah, and I'm not sure when we're going to air the podcast, but August 18th, 
okay. is our, we call it the big event, Build, Invest, and Grow. And it's, a, it's part celebration, it's part community outreach, it's part vision casting, part fundraising. It's really it's a, a big night to celebrate what God's doing to care for kids and families. It's going to be at the Kauffman Center again this year, um, a beautiful setting, and we would love uh, for that to be one of the ways that you learn more about what God's doing through Go Project. Awesome. And, you know, one of the things that, that I love listeners to know, um, I, I'm not really political. Uh, so, you know, we've got faith-based organizations. That we've got just people that want to help. Um, anybody can help. It's not, no one's going to browbeat yeah. them about some political message or yeah. something like that. No. It, it, it all comes from love. Yeah, this is there is no there is no litmus test right. to become part of the Global Orphan Project yeah. movement. It's run from a faith. We and that's are, okay, but nobody's going to beat you over the head to help. No. As leaders, we are unashamedly followers yeah. of Jesus. We feel like we have a biblical mandate that is our mission. Um, and we are willing to partner with anybody who has a heart to help local kids and families in crisis. There are lots of problems in the world, government corruption, HIV, natural disasters. We could make a really long list. Sure. But I think we can all agree that children shouldn't pay the highest price. And if you agree with that, then we would love for you to become a part of uh, what's going on at Go Project. Well, I I just love that message because um, I think now, at least... In the, in the States, we get so caught up in believing that a differing opinion means huh. a, a base disagreement and we can't work with, with those people. And I just don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we I can mean, start to divide the group so small we're not going to accomplish anything. Right. You're not going to have anybody that, that is really going to be able to work with you. But love that... Uh, that you guys are based here in Kansas City, that it, that it sprouted here, it's going international and around our country to do good. And, you know, it's people, like you said, unashamedly living their faith. So let's make an impact. Scott, thank you. <laughs> it's a privilege to be with you. All right. Thanks again, man. Have a great day. You too. Hey, everybody. It's Scott making shows for you again. I hope you enjoyed this one. I had almost forgotten how much I enjoy meeting people here in Kansas City and hearing about the great things they've done. And I hope you learned the same lesson that I did out of this, that no matter what your faith, live it out, man. Don't be ashamed of it. Get out there, make an impact using the principles that you've learned in your life and and share that with others. So Trace is doing a great job of that here. The Global Orphan Project is something that we can all get behind no matter what we believe and do good and learn about others. And it's not just sending money to something overseas. It's something that is really changing lives both here in America and in other locations by teaching people good skills, giving them opportunity, not just forking over money. So if you have any ideas for a great show, as always, send them to me at scott at caseygreats.com. I'd love to hear your feedback. Give us reviews on iTunes if you listen to it there. That always helps. 
Have a great day. I look forward to getting the next show out there soon.